Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. Throughout my life, I have visited with many people throughout many countries all over the world. And one thing that I can definitely notice about my travels is that there are many people throughout the world who would identify themselves as being religious. There are many churches, many religious institutions, many religious and holy places, many people who are devoted to organizations that identify themselves as having the purpose of being religious organizations. But generally, what that means is that people are involved in activities that they assemble together in community efforts or they are involved with other people for the purpose of proclaiming certain religious ideologies or certain religious philosophies. The people assemble together all over the place, and in general, they do this for the purpose of having a sense of community or to have contact with other people. But it's quite unusual for me to find anyone who really has an interest in knowing their God, in knowing their Creator. That is something that is relatively unique in the religious world. In general, people are looking to become better people or they are looking to build a community of people that have a common set of values. But when it comes to the existence of God, it's not necessarily the priority in most cases. While people may be involved in various sacramental activities or they may proclaim that there is a God, they may not know him at all. They may not have a sincere desire to have a personal relationship with him. Many do. I'm not saying that all people are like this. I'm just saying that in generalities, it's unusual to find a religious person who's really interested in having a deep personal relationship with the true and living God. Whenever I engage in conversation with people of this nature, one of the first things that I look for an opportunity to bring up is the fact that I believe that there truly is a God. And you might think that this would be an unusual thing to say, especially given that many people who identify themselves as religious, regardless of what faith they may ascribe themselves to, whether it be of Islam or Buddhism or Christianity, regardless of what it is, you would think that they would believe that there is a God. But in many cases, people don't really take that question or that issue very seriously. So I try to take an opportunity, when I can take the opportunity, to express to them that I really do believe that there truly is a real God, and that this God is actively involved in the world that he has created, that I do not believe that this is a God who is waiting up there in heaven, looking down to us through a telescope, looking to see how we might fight it out amongst ourselves, and I also don't really believe that this God has put everything in motion in such a way that nothing will occur in any way whatsoever without his direct intervention and guidance, but that we do clearly appear to have the ability to make choices in our lives, that we do have a will ourselves. And so instead of thinking of him as a God of stone who is up there in the heavens, 
or thinking of him as a god of stone who controls every molecule in the universe, I believe that my God is an active participant in the lives of the people who he has created. And it's very unusual for me to get a negative reaction to that. In general, people are willing to accept that as being reality, that there is a God who has created all things and that he is involved in some way. And even though we may not understand how he is involved, that doesn't mean that he isn't involved. And so people are normally very quick to accept what I present in that context, that there is a God. But what I usually do is follow that up with a very important statement, and that is that given any situation that we might find ourselves confronted with, or given any philosophical debate that we might have concerning life or concerning eternity, concerning the world that we are a part of and how it really functions, I believe that if there is a God that regardless of what subject we may bring up, regardless of what subject we may be confronted with, he probably has an opinion concerning these issues that we feel are important. And if he has an opinion on any of these issues, then I would venture to say that his opinion is probably very important. That his opinion, what he thinks and what he believes and what he sees and what he understands probably has greater importance than what we think or what we see or what we understand or what we believe, that what he believes is quite likely more important. And so if these things are true, I really believe that it would be very valuable, that it would be very important and very useful to consider looking to him to see what he thinks and to see what he believes. And people find it very easy to accept a statement like that as well. But by saying that, I take away a lot of the opportunities for arguments and for debates that normally will unfold when you try to bring up the subject of God or the Lord Jesus or the Bible To say something like this can disarm many disputes that normally occur in such a way that we can have a productive conversation so that regardless of what I think or regardless of what this person thinks, we can at least agree that if there is a God, what we should be looking for is to find out what he thinks. But how will we know what he thinks? How will we know what he believes? How will we discover this? Who are we to ask God to take time out of his busy day to share with us what he feels and what he thinks and how he sees the world that he has created? Who are we to even bother asking him to take some of his time out to discuss these things with us and to give us some insights concerning important matters that we deal with on a daily basis or on a regular basis? Who are we to truly ask him? And what mechanism is there? What mechanism exists for us to be able to appeal to our God? These are the kinds of questions that people will start to think about. Because if he does exist, and if he does believe certain things, and if he does have an opinion concerning these things that we feel are really important, then how are we truly going to find out what he thinks and what he knows and what he sees? How are we going to determine that? Well, what I believe is that if there is going to be any opportunity for him to express to us 
what he believes and what he sees and what he understands, if there's going to be any opportunity for that, he would have to speak to us. Without question, I really believe that he would have to speak to us in some way. And so is there any evidence whatsoever that exists on this earth that shows that he has at any time throughout the entire course of history, has he ever taken any opportunity to speak to us in such a way that it would be without question, without doubt, that he has actually spoken, that the evidence would be overwhelming, so overwhelming, that this would be recorded, that this would be documented as a testimony to other people throughout the ages that our God took an opportunity out of his busy schedule to speak to us and to share something with us that he believes is important so that we would know our God. We would know something about him at least. We would at least know what he thinks about various issues that we struggle with on a daily basis. And this is something that we would document for future generations because who knows if he's going to bother taking the time to speak to anyone else in the future. Why would he bother? Would it not be our responsibility, our obligation to maintain a record of what he has had to say so that others would have the privilege of knowing something about their God? I do believe that this would be a distinct obligation to the people who he speaks to, and it would also be an obligation of the people in the future to take seriously what had been documented prior. I can recall when I first began to really study the Bible, to study the scriptures that have been sustained throughout the course of time, one of the things that I really noticed when I started to study the scriptures was the numerous times that it said, and God spoke, and he said. That was very interesting to me, that somebody would give testimony to what he said. Now, of course, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's true. Certainly, somebody can just write that. They can declare that this is the word of God, that this is a record of the words that he conveyed. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it is true, we would need to have some evidence, I would think, that would support it being true or not true. But what is so unique about the scriptures is certainly that there is a record of God speaking, that people have recorded what he had to say about the various circumstances in the history of humanity, that he certainly was not silent on these matters, He perhaps did not speak as often as people would have liked, and he certainly did not speak to everyone, as I'm sure everyone would have an interest in hearing from him, or at least you would think that that would be the case. But he did say a lot, and I believe that he said more than enough, honestly. When looking at the scriptures, especially the first five books of Moses, there is some evidence that gives credibility to what is recorded there, and that is the Israelite people. The people of Israel, the Israelite people who were taken out of captivity from Egypt and went out into the desert and were eventually led to the promised land, there were approximately two and a half million people who left Egypt and went into the wilderness and spent 40 years out there hearing the word of God. In Exodus chapter 20, for example, we have the record of our God coming down personally on a mountain. And he spoke the first Ten Commandments to the entire nation in such a way that everybody could hear him 
And there was no question amongst any of the people that this was the real and true living God who decided to come down and speak to an entire nation of people. And people heard him. People saw him or saw a manifestation of him. And there were witnesses of this event. And it was recorded in a historical context within the books of Moses that this actually happened. In fact, in Saudi Arabia, we have discovered a mountain that does fulfill the description that we have in the scriptures. We have discovered a mountain that has been burnt and charred in some way that nobody really knows how this happened. And the surrounding region does have a lot of archaeological artifacts surrounding it that does show that this quite likely was the place where the people saw and heard the Lord and that the charred mountain is remains. It is evidence that our God probably did surely come down and speak to the people. But the fact that he did and the fact that there were so many people who could testify that this was true and this was real is certainly something to pay attention to, especially in the context of the scriptures. And the scriptures, especially the first five books of Moses, that is, have been maintained and have been sustained over the course of time. And the people who witnessed these events were there in order to ensure the integrity of the record of what actually happened. I mean, if if there was any dishonesty that was recorded within the books of Moses, somebody would have certainly spoke up by now. Somebody would have certainly spoken up when it was being recorded to ensure that it would be modified or changed in order to give an accurate accounting of what actually took place. And so because of that and many other reasons, I certainly believe that we can trust the integrity of the historical record that God spoke and we know what he had to say. And what he had to say is very important. And we should certainly take the time to look at what he had to say very closely and take it seriously. And in addition to this, we know that the prophets also heard from the Lord. The writings of the prophets we do have contained within our Bibles today, and we can look to the prophets to see what the Lord had to say, the prophecies that he gave. And we can see that all of the prophecies came true, at least those that were relevant to the history up to date. There are many prophecies that have been given that will be fulfilled in the future, and we are simply waiting for those to unfold as God declared. But in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 1, the writer of Hebrews starts out with this important concept, with this important issue, and that is, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, he wrote, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. The writer of the letter to the Hebrews started out his letter with this important concept, with this important truth that God has spoken. He spoke long ago in the past, and he has now spoken to us through his Son, who we know as the Lord Jesus. He was writing to the Hebrews who were a very religious people, no question about it. Most of them were, at least. They were very involved in the temple ceremonies and in the annual festivals that were required by the law of Moses. There were synagogues throughout the land. The people were very religious. 
But just because they were religious, just because they were active participants in the festivals and in the ceremonies and the Sabbath worship in the synagogues throughout the land, and just because they lived in obedience to some of the laws that were given by God, that did not mean that they believed that there was a God. That did not mean that they believed what he had to say. That did not mean that they would believe him if he came personally here on earth and spoke to them. That did not necessarily mean that they would hear him, believe him, or trust him. So the writer of the letter to the Hebrews starts out with this important point. And I will take some time reviewing some of the important things that the Lord did say that have been recorded so that we can gain a greater appreciation for what he had to say to the fathers and to the prophets long ago, especially as it relates to the Messiah, who is the focal point of all human history. Who wrote this letter, though? Who actually wrote the letter to the Hebrews? Well, we certainly don't know because we don't have a record in the letter that says that it was written by a specific person. However, there has been a lot of speculation regarding who wrote the letter. I, of course, have my own opinion concerning this. Some people have suggested that it may have been Apollos. Other people believe that it was someone who was close to the Apostle Paul. There are many theories concerning who may have written the letter, but I, of course, have my own opinion concerning who wrote the letter. I personally believe that it was the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter. And there are several reasons why I believe there is enough evidence to show that he quite likely wrote it. While I believe there is enough evidence, I certainly don't have any direct proof. One of the evidences that I believe is worth noting is in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34, it says, For you had compassion on me, in my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Now, this is out of the New King James Version that I just read. and the New American Standard Version, it does not say that. It says, for you showed sympathy to the prisoners. And so there is a question with regards to which manuscripts we should look to to have greater evidence for what it actually says or what was intended uh, in one version and one set of manuscripts, Greek manuscripts that is, it says, for you showed sympathy to the prisoners and in another set of manuscripts it says, you showed sympathy to me. And so this is relatively uncertain. But if you were to just look at it for a moment and consider that perhaps the writer was imprisoned, that certainly would narrow down the list of possible candidates who could have written the letter. It could be someone that Paul had imprisoned, or it could have been somebody who was with Paul. It may have been a Gentile. We don't really know for sure, of course, just because of something like that, because there were many people who were imprisoned for their faith in the Lord Jesus. But there, of course, is other evidence. If you were to consider the end of the letter, for example, at the end of the letter in Hebrews chapter 13, you will find that the writer speaks of Timothy. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 23, he says, Take notice that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom, if he comes, I will see you. This can certainly give you some evidence with regards to when this letter was written. But what's important here in this case is the fact that the writer speaks of Timothy, and Timothy was definitely a disciple of the Apostle Paul. Now, the Apostle Paul did not have many people who were a part of his ministry. He certainly was quite active in his ministry. But if you were to look through the historical record in Acts, 
and examined the letters that he wrote. He names people by name, and he speaks of people meeting in homes. He did not have a large following of people, and so this does narrow down the number of possible candidates who would have written this letter down to the point where this was somebody who was quite likely close to the Apostle Paul, especially to have a close affiliation with Timothy, who was a disciple of Paul, and as far as I can tell, certainly promoted and taught the very same things that the Apostle Paul promoted and taught. And so this would definitely narrow things down quite a bit with regards to who would have possibly written it. But if you were to continue to read in Hebrews chapter 13 to verse 24, it also says, Greet all of your leaders and all the saints, those from Italy, greet you. This gives some evidence that the writer probably wrote this letter while he was in Italy. We know that the Apostle Paul was in Rome throughout the last days of his life, and so quite likely I believe that this was written by the Apostle Paul who was in Rome who thought that perhaps he might be able to return to Jerusalem or return to the regions where the Hebrews had a great deal of influence, and he would be able to go there with Timothy, that this was a belief of the writer. And I certainly believe that we could suggest that Paul believed that he would return or have the ability to return, that he would not necessarily be beheaded. I mean, if he thought that he was going to be executed, then I would think that he probably would look to leave before he was executed. What's really interesting about the book of Hebrews to me when it comes to thinking about who wrote it is that the content in the book of Hebrews is very involved. It really demonstrates a lot of maturity. Whoever wrote this definitely was very mature in the faith. No question about that in my mind. The things that the writer speaks of are definitely very advanced when considering the struggles that the church had, that the people were struggling with in terms of what they were really going to believe and why and how, this person, whoever wrote this, definitely had a very good understanding of the gospel, definitely had a very good understanding of the complete forgiveness of sins and the implications of the forgiveness that we truly have, the importance of the forgiveness that we do have when you consider Hebrews chapter 9, for example, he spoke of the new covenant and the will of God as a description of the inheritance that we have received. He spoke in chapter 10 about the importance of recognizing the sanctification we already have in Christ Jesus. This is definitely a very advanced book when it comes to our faith in Christ Jesus, considering the topics that are raised and the way that the writer wrote his letter. I do not believe, I personally do not believe that anyone but the Apostle Paul had this much understanding about the gospel and the implications of the gospel. I don't believe anybody else had an understanding of our faith any more than the Apostle Paul did, who could have possibly written this letter. One thing that people will look at, though, is they will look at this and they will say, yeah, but the way that it was written... The style that it was written in does not seem to correspond as well as we would like when we compare this letter with the other letters that we do know that he wrote. Well, I can understand that, but if you consider the differences in audiences, he should write a little differently if he's writing to the Hebrews in comparison with writing to the Gentiles. Most of the letters that we do have that we do know that he wrote were written to the Gentiles, and when he 
was writing to the Hebrews, you should expect him to write a little bit differently. I certainly speak to Hebrews today very differently than I speak to Gentiles today. Absolutely. I don't use the same words when I talk with a Jewish person as I use when I talk with a Gentile person. I use a vocabulary that they can understand based on their own individual background and beliefs. I do this and so I can be more effective in communicating the truths that our God has revealed to the different individual people groups who I am speaking to. And so I would not be surprised if Paul wrote this letter because he was writing to a different group of people, relatively speaking, in this letter. And so I would actually expect him to write differently than he would have written to the Galatians, for example, or to the Ephesians or the Thessalonians as other examples. And so considering that the writer was probably imprisoned, but also that the writer had associations with Timothy, that the writer was in Italy, and the writer definitely demonstrates a significant amount of maturity, I believe that these are all evidences that support my belief that it was the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter to the Hebrews. But beyond all of that, I do believe that there is something that gives even greater evidence that it was the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter. And that is that there is no name given on this letter. The fact that his name is not recorded on this letter, I believe, is greater evidence to show that he is the one who wrote it. Because anyone else would most likely put their name on the letter and say, I am the one who is writing this, and so you know who is writing this, and we can talk about it later. I believe that the fact that the Apostle Paul's name is not on this letter gives great evidence that it is the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter. And the reason why is because the Hebrews did not want to hear from the Apostle Paul. If he was the one who wrote this, then he was in Italy when he wrote this. This would be after the major event in Jerusalem when he was captured and taken as a prisoner and he was eventually taken up into Rome, people would know about Paul. People would know about him, and they would know that he was someone who was rejected by the vast majority of the people in Jerusalem and in Israel. People would already have a bias against the Apostle Paul, the people in Jerusalem and the disciples and the apostles, the elders of the church. And so if he wanted to reach out to them, he would have to reach out to them anonymously. And I will continue in the next broadcast. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Thank you,